You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. Today, we have a great guest. We have the one and only Ash London. Uh, She's an entertainment guru who has spent the last 10 years solidifying herself as the voice of music in Australia, forming relationships with the world's biggest artists. Ash's radio career has seen her host multiple shows, including Take 40 Australia, Today FM Breakfast, Shazam Top 20, and her flagship national night show, Ash London Live, which ran for five years across the hit network, finishing up in October of 2021, just weeks before Ash gave birth to her first son, Buddy. 2019 saw a return to television for Ash, co-hosting MTV's flagship show, MTV TRL, as well as joining the cast of Networks Network 10's Have You Been Paying Attention? In 2021, she was the face of the destination NSW tourism campaign, The Long Road, a celebration of music and travel. Ash is an ambassador for Greyhound Rescue NSW and lives in Sydney alongside her husband, son, and firstborn child, Honey, the laziest greyhound on the planet. (laughs) Ash, welcome to Inverse Podcast. Thank you, Drew. I wish everyone read my bio with that gorgeous accent. Everything just sounds so much cooler than when us Aussies do it. So thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. Anytime you need a bio read, I'd be glad to do it for you. I can be your hype person. Don't tell me that because, you know, I'll, I often need it. So you'll get a lot of calls <laughs> at any time of the day. I said, Drew, you offered. If I'm pressing record now, go for it. Hey, Ash, t- tell us what are the things that Drew would be doing uh the hype man job for at the moment because you've you've changed lanes a, a bunch yeah. like you've gone from being so public and for mates in the states i was trying to describe um how uh the role that you've played in the australian imagination and you're just there you're just kind of furniture for like a whole generation of like um it's like 46 radio stations that your show yeah, was across pretty and much wherever you can get commercial radio in Australia the show was so I took that seriously you know for city kids and country kids that you know um what that's someone that window that's my neighbor with the whippersnipper um <laughs> yeah I mean I love music and I knew that it was a great way to connect people to music and there were all sorts of people so I took the job very seriously so that means a lot Jared thank you very much but yeah if it was going to be my hype man in three six months ago he would have been like yeah go ash interviewing ed sheeran you got the exclusive with cardi b now he'd be like yeah ash buddy slept for two and a half hours and you managed to (laughs) remember to put a breast pad in your boobs so you're not out in public with a huge wet pad you remembered for once ash ash (laughs) and i'd be like yes it's not as glamorous these days lots of bodily fluids from me from him everywhere that's how i tried to actually describe i was like um um ash is so lovely like on air and off air that um these people that you listen to um they call ash to let's go to dinner 
and and not like small names like we're talking like um like the episode um you did with your uh lovely hubby about um uh, him not being present for uh a dinner with harry styles because he was getting your engagement ring which is a really sweet yeah. and lovely well, he didn't story because he thought like he that was a power play from him he was like <laughs> no i'm gonna come deal with you and harry styles you go by i don't care like um and also i've got to pick up your engagement ring so yeah well i did see him and i was angry at him because he was late and then a week later he said the reason i was late is because i was picking up your engagement ring and then i felt you know, pretty bad. But it is weird for someone like me who grew up, um, you know, like a church kid who just loved music, who dreamed of being a part of this world to kind of be a grown-up and, yeah, like get to know these people and become friends with them and realise that they're very normal and just as insecure, if not way more insecure than us because their life is lived in the spotlight. So, yeah, look, it's a pretty different life to the one I had when I was a kid and it's kind of living the dream, which is why, you know, I'll tell Buddy one day, you know, I gave it all up for you, kid. He's, no he's pressure. Even better no company. Pressure. No pressure. Don't disappoint me. <laughs> well, um, uh, Drew is going to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your childhood in just a bit, but with seamless product placement in mind, um, do you want to talk about your new project? So I don't forget yeah. to do that later on. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I, when I found out I was pregnant uh, in February, I already knew that I would be finishing up my radio show. I'd already made that decision. And I knew me and I knew that if I was going to be at home for kind of eight weeks of maternity leave before the baby came or a bit less, um, I would need to be doing something. Uh, I've never not worked. I've never not created. I've got this home studio. So I thought I'll, you know, just for something different for an Australian white entertainer, I will do a podcast because everyone needs to hear what I have to say because I'm so important and I have so much um, gold. So I had this idea that I would um, speak to women who who kind of at the peak of their career who had a baby and kind of see how they did it. And that was kind of the first idea. And um, so I did that, kind of got organised and we called it, it's kind of like I'm approaching it a bit differently. So it's called the Ash London Podcast. We're doing it in seasons and kind of different mm. offerings so that it's. I like different. that a lot. Well, I figured why not, you know, mm. why not be able to do one thing and then change, you know, change course. So we kicked it off with new mum who dis. Um, and I spoke to the likes of, of Leanne Moriarty, who wrote Big Little Lies and Emma Isaacs from Business Chicks and Miranda Kerr. Um, Larissa Waters, who's an amazing green senator, Tiff Holder. It's yeah. a stack of really different women um, to talk about their experiences, um, juggling career, keeping career goals and passions alive while having the baby. And then next week I'm expanding out to two episodes a week. So there'll be like the cool mom show on a Tuesday and then the, the normal live your best life stuff on a Thursday. And we'll be speaking to just people I admire who are managing to live their best life while the world around us is imploding so to speak because it kind of feels like that yeah i think there's a much better option than jumping on a conspiracy bandwagon well done to you ash yeah well it could have could have gone either way (laughs) put it honestly i mean 10 years ago i would have but i've grown up a bit now and i can kind of see black from white it you know i'm good now that's good so ash we um obviously one of the things that we like to do on the podcast is to explore different biblical texts with folks. 
Um, but one of the things that we like to do is just to set the tone with a particular biblical passage. So is there a particular text that you'd like to read for us just to kind of set the atmosphere for us? Well, m mine's not really like a, it's not like a verse. It's a whole kind of parable. So I don't know if you want yeah. me to read no, the whole great. parable. Well, well, yeah, Susan Carlin, she, she chose the whole book of Esther, right? Like, so, okay. um, as, as long as you don't choose like, um, like a whole gospel, I mean, we'd still listen. We would listen, right? If you want to read the Gospel of John all the accents. way through. I'll make it interesting. This bit of, can I just preface this by saying it has been probably, I'm going to say, seven years since I've read from the Bible out loud and probably four years since I've read the Bible. So this is taking me back, man, but I will go. Reading from Ash, the this is, this is actually just like a secret way to get Bible study back in your day. That's <laughs> That's what this is about. I'd do a Bible study. If it was a small group and there was good snacks, I'd do it with people I liked. It's an intervention, Dan, smart-ass. That's hilarious. Um, on the comments. Yeah, I do I do a Bible study. Okay, should I start? Go for it. Yeah, please. I'm reading from the New International Version because it's the first thing that came up on Google. Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one Come occasion, on, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. These experts always testing Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Mm. Here ends the reading. Here ends the reading. <laughs> She's still got it. She's still got it. Doesn't miss a bit. Yep, that's a church kid right there. <laughs> so, Ash, like, um, tell us some church kid story. When do you first remember encountering the Bible? Well, I think one of the first times encountering it was actually with the story of the Good Samaritan. I had this wow. kind of little picture book and I remember it so clearly. And the the graphics were kind of dark and scary. And I remember even as a kid being like, if they want to like get people on board with this, they should make the illustrations a bit happier. Like even as a kid, I was very much like, hmm. But I loved this story. And I remember um, me and some church friends, Polly Posey and Tash, I, you know, you have these weird memories, just standout memories of when you're a kid and you have no idea why you remember that particular thing, but you do. I have this really particular memory of us all having a fight because it says um, uh, in verse 30, uh, it was a beam and went away, leaving him half dead. And we had a full on like 20 minute discussion slash fight over what half dead meant. And Polly was like, no, it's the left side of his body was dead and the right side was alive. <laughs> and I was like, no, but the top half. And then he was paralyzed from the leg. And we were like, had this, you know. So I think this story, um, I would have been little, you know, like old enough to, you know, 
have a story read to me and understand what was going on and follow along with the pictures. Um, but yeah, and I, and I remember the first Bible I had, which I think is the first Bible that everyone in the kind of early nineties, every kid had with the pictures and I drew all over it and got in trouble. Um, but I don't really remember a time when the Bible wasn't a part of, you know, our life. Mum found Jesus when I was kind of four and I don't have many memories before that. So it was very much kind of at the center of things. I don't really Actually. remember life without it. I just want to note that power play about early 90s, and that's a clear dig that Drew and I remember <laughs> stuff from the 80s, but we're going to let that pass because we love you. I could have said 80s, technically, I suppose, but I'm on the precipice, so I'll take the night. I'll say I'm a 90s kid, thanks. <laughs> so I'm curious then, Ash, like, you know, what's fascinating is always hearing our guests kind of reflect on how they encountered scripture, right? So you know, people have just a broad range of experiences. I'm curious for you, mm. um, as you reflect and, and think about how you encountered and experienced scripture, was it a liberating kind of thing? Was it an oppressive thing, like something else? How would you describe what you encountered? Well, I think I went to a Catholic primary school. So I think I always had this weird kind of contrast in my life of Catholic primary school where I felt like everything was very kind of, you know, within a particular form and, you know, kind of harsh and not very alive. Um, and then on the weekends going to a Pentecostal church where, you know, the scripture is alive and it's here to teach, you know, so it's this kind of like weird, I knew the scripture better than all the Catholic kids and I could answer all of the, you know, like we had to go to mass and we did religious education and I knew all the answers, but there was a certain amount of kind of like, oh, these guys, like they don't even know that this shit. I'm not a square on this podcast. Yes. Ash, you've been nothing but yourself. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even know that this stuff is like, you know, it's legit, guys. Come on. You know, I was, and I was too cool. I was like, yeah, answer your questions because I got the, you know, I'm doing it properly. And, you know, we have cool songs. Um, and I think, <laughs> but as a kid, I always, I was always a bit, too smart for my own age and questioned everything. So I think I found the gospel liberating to a point, but I always took it with a grain of salt. There was never part of me that really believed that, you know, it was all too legit to quit. I thought, yeah, I'll take the bits that, you know, when I'm stressed out, I know what verses I need to go to to make myself feel better. So I think it was kind of a balance and it wasn't really until I got a lot older um, that my view of, yeah, that I kind of perhaps viewed it as something that was more oppressive as I encountered a bigger world outside of people that believed what I did and looked like I did and loved like I did and all those sorts of things. But um, I think because, yeah, I'd never known anything apart from the scripture as the go-to, mm. um, perhaps it was very, very hard for me to see it as anything other than something that would be very helpful in my life and something that could be really liberating for myself. Mm. And if I looked at it in the, in the lens of for myself, that was fine. It wasn't until I started looking at it through the lens of other people that maybe I had some issues with. Yeah. Wow. Were there particular like experiences that kind of, that you can like remember, like kind of this journey that kind of where you began experiencing that shift? I think there probably was. I think there was a lot of, I remember 
I just remember details very well. And I wrote, so I remember, and I'm always looking to pick holes in arguments and things. So I think even as a kid with, you know, I'd, I'd listen to some scripture and go, but in another place it said this. And I don't know if I agree with that. I can't even think of any particular instances right now to support this argument, but I think, um, it was very much because of my nature to always be looking for, you know, problems, holes, issues, judgments, those sorts of things. Yeah. Actually, I was going to ask, um, I remember a vague question, like pretty early on, like a conversation when we met. Um, uh, do you have Maronite background as well in the mix of yeah, so it's yeah. my dad's Lebanese, born and raised in Lebanon, or born in Syria, actually, raised in Lebanon, came as a teenager. So, um, yeah, the kind of orthodox side is still very much alive on dad's side. Mm. But really for us, you know, because mum really was the driving force when it came to kind of faith in the household. And mm-hmm. one, and she was great Roman Catholic because I'm dad's Irish, mum's Lebanese. So once she um, found the happy clappies, that was very much kind of, that was us done. And dad kind of came along to church, you know, begrudgingly when he had to. Um, And my family still like, you know, my cousins, even who probably would call themselves Christian, but kind of don't really practice, would still get married in the um, Maronite. Or sometimes the Melkite church, if we're in a city that the Maronites don't have a church, we'll just, you know, we'll side with them, same samesies. Um, so yeah, we always had the really beautiful, like my grandmother always had the beautiful kind of statues. Once, how's this for a great story? When I was about six years old, my grandmother had a statue. It was not a statue, it was a little, like a, a statue with a light globe that shone up on uh-huh. Jesus. Yeah. It was um, Mary holding Jesus. But the light globe had been taken out. I remember as a kid thinking, I'm going to help my grandma out. I'm going to plug the light bulb in. So I plugged it in and it blew up and electrocuted and it blew off Jesus's head. And um, <laughs> the ambulance were like, you should have died. This thing was like so unsafe. But you had, I had shoes on in the house for some reason. They were like, if you didn't have shoes on, the electricity would have come. Just You would have died. And my grandmother was like, well, Jesus. It's a miracle. I mean, Jesus yeah. once again, yeah. given his life for you. And she kept it as like a memory of, you know, of, and Jesus' head's blown off and she's kept it in a house. And I'm thinking, this is a very traumatic time for me, Renee. Um, yeah, but she was all about it. Yeah, I, I think there, um, there are strong similarities between Irish Catholic grandmothers um, and your. <laughs> Your Lebanese uh, Maronite yeah. grandma. Um, Absolutely. I'm aware that uh, you're um, you're really quite brilliant, and anybody watching you interview and the way that um, you pivot and move knows how fast you're taking in a lot of information, processing it mm-hmm. at the time, um, and flip. Like you're constantly doing judo. It's super Im- impressive to watch and yet the first time uh, we there's a and yet (laughs) (laughs) the first time um we started uh like hanging um I was surprised about some of the church cultures that you were flowing through and um uh and how you were uh in given that you're always a kid who was putting things together really quickly um Talk to us a little bit how you've held the tension 
of um, containers that are smaller than you are and yet being gracious in those spaces. Because I, I actually think that is um, incredibly uh, generous. And um, would you talk a little about that? Because I was also, yeah. and I mean, you know that um, these are places that um, I'm sometimes invited to like speak into, which I'm happy to, but they're not home, right? Like, yeah. so um, I, I go anywhere people need Jesus, Ash, including church. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know You're I mean? so gracious, Jared, the way you framed that question, because if I framed that question, I would have said, given that you're so brilliant and you question everything, how the hell did you end up in a borderline cult Pentecostal church for so long? That's how I would have framed it. And you've come at it with such grace. and It's really beautiful of you. And it's a wonderful question. And it's a question that I still, as a 35-year-old, um, ask myself so often that I, you know, so I went from uh, normal kind of a Christian outreach centre as a kid and then we moved overseas for a while. So we were living in the Philippines for quite some some years and we were always kind of the, the only foreigners at a Filipino church. So I never really had a church community for a, a while there. I was just kind of like no one spoke to me and I hated going to church every week because I was just an outsider. My mum made me go and I'd sit there and wait for it to be over and then, you know. And then I came back to Australia and I think for me it was very much about community at first and no one does community like the Penties because they, you know, they, they will put on a show, catering's great, you know, the worship leader's a babe. They had me. I was a teenager. So I think um, it was the community originally um, and the people, and it's weird that it, I still remember I spent kind of, I'm going to say from when I was maybe 15 to 20, early 20, maybe six or seven years, heavily, heavily involved in church, heavily involved, like, you know, on the leadership and the youth this and attending all the meetings and really kind of to the detriment of friendships, to the detriment mm. of my education. I nearly failed university because wow. I was so just committed to church. And I did this even though so much of me doubted what I was doing. I didn't doubt my faith. I didn't doubt God. I didn't doubt any of that. I just doubted the approach. Mm -hmm. um, and I so often ask myself, but why did you keep going? Like, I'm not saying I was in a cult. I, I, well, I'm not saying that. Um, I'm just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's someone audible... who questions, <laughs> I question everything, you know, and now I'm so like, but why, but why? And when it comes to myself through years of therapy, everything is, but why, you know, I'm doing this. I, mm. why are you doing this, Ash? What's the real motivation here? And I think I always try so hard to, you know, I think part of me thought that, especially as a youth leader, that I owed it to the kids to have someone there who embraced the gaze and yeah. allowed questioning and, you know, could show them some alternate option for how to live that wasn't this kind of black and white. But I also think perhaps... I just found a lot of my identity in my place in the church. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a huge reason why so many people stay in those, you know, churches, institutions, whatever we want to call it. We build a hierarchy 
and we found our place in that and it's safe and comfortable and it gives us something to work towards. Um, and perhaps I felt a little out of place in my outside life, you know, because mm. it certainly felt like there were these two lives that I was living. There was the church, Ash, and then that was the kind of number one. And then everything under that was like, well, I also have to squeeze in uni and see my family. And I had this distinct memory once of my brother was visiting from London and my mum made me, and we're so close, my brother and I are best friends, always have been. And he was going back to London and my mum made me go to the airport to say goodbye to him, but I had to go to church. And she put her foot down and said, I don't care where you have to be, you come to the airport. And I sat at the airport with a bad attitude. I didn't want to be there because I was supposed to be at church and no one understood that I was supposed to be at church. And I think back on that now and I want to cry because I'm like, oh, God, I got it so wrong. And, you know, God would agree. So I think, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of it was about identity and feeling safe. And it was my whole world. I mean, all my friends mm. were there. If I left, well, I had nothing else. I'd lost my high school friends because I ditched them to throw myself into my new calling. And wow. um, you know, I even remember one day, which kind of connects back to this Good Samaritan thing. My aunt, um, who's a legend, who's like, you know, you know, she's an educator, super smart, you know, she pretty much told me one day, she heard that I was doing some high school outreach where I would go into high schools and run programs. And she pretty much told me we were brainwashing these kids. I was like, no, we're not. It's like, well, you are, you, you're going in there and you're giving them lunch and playing games with them. So they'll join your church. And, in, and I was like, no, we're just doing it because we're being good people. And, you know, but, you know, like sirens are going off in my head because I'm thinking, no, we're doing it because we want them to come to church, because we want them to come to church. <laughs> you know, you know, so I think there was always, always part of me that was like, mm, and, you know, 20% of me would sit in those pews and just be uncomfortable. I never invited people to church, never invited friends mm. to church. Now, that should have been a, you know, red flag that if I didn't want people I love to, to kind of be a part of this, well, why the heck was I kind of devoting my life to it? And still I continued until I, I moved overseas and I literally had to like move countries in yeah. order for me to think of, okay, well, I'm going to start a new life and that's how I'm going to, make this all make sense and I couldn't stay in Melbourne where my whole this life that I've built exists but not be a part of it because it would be too weird and they'd be angry at me which they wouldn't to be fair you know I had built up this thing in my head I didn't want to disappoint people I didn't want to let people down so instead I'm just going to move to London and that's what I did <laughs> and and a name so Ash um, right think- yeah that's therein is the name because I had yeah. this liberating incredible time there oh, ash's exodus journey um mm-hmm. I, i'm i'm so aware that there's so many people who'd be listening and really identify with that that um our coming to faith wasn't about losing anything in fact it was about um uh and and not in ways that uh, are negative and uh, certainly mm. no judgment but i think a, a lot of people uh, find a safety and then um, uh, that safety, ironically, is what traps the limits of their love instead of expands it, um, which is is tragic. Um, I'd be really interested to hear, Ash, um, a- as you have expanded past um, those limits that were put in place to love, what kind of, um, I don't want to use the word advice, but um, uh, if you share a little 
about how others can um, either understand their faith or, or read biblical texts in ways that um, uh, do expand instead of mm. retract right, yeah. those limits? I think for me the word is allow. So mm. I moved to London, right, and no one is checking in on me. No one cares if on a Sunday I don't go to church. So some, some days I will go to church and some, some days I won't. And no one is going to care if I walk out of a sermon because I don't agree with it, you know. So I got to this point where I just allowed everything. I allowed all the questions. I allowed all the disagreements. I allowed myself and trusted myself to not partake or to partake. And in all that allowing, I think, is where I found what was real and true for me. And I think a lot of it was also separating myself from my fam, my mother, you know, like um, a lot of us who were brought up in Christian homes. I mean, there's so much to unpack when it comes to this is the faith that I have been brought up to believe by the people I love and trust the most who know better than me. It was very heartbreaking for me to get to a place where I no longer believed those things because I felt like I was betraying my mother who was always been so good to me, you know. So that was, and I had to allow that. I just said, okay, that is what it is. I have to allow that to be true. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that my childhood was a lie. It doesn't mean that it was a waste because that's another really big thing is that, well, if I, change my mind or if I now expand my beliefs to include this all this other stuff well have I wasted the last 15 years of my life wow. and some would say my best years you know my early 20s where I had you know the world at my feet and I could have paid attention at university you know all these things was it a waste and I, I had to make space for all of those feelings and really forgive myself for um, not really being tr not true, but perhaps not being as honest with myself as I could have been. Um, so there was a lot of forgiving myself and then forgiving my mom for what I saw as, um, you know, exposing me to parts of a faith or a religion or a community that perhaps weren't very healthy. Mm. Um, allow, 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 allow it all, be okay with it all, accept it all. And really at the end of the day, you know, be ready for people to not understand and that's okay. You know, like yeah. so much of me was scared that my friends were going to, you know, have a go at me. People that I loved and trusted for so many years were going to, you know, and there was the occasional, you know, we'll pray for you, which I knew was code for like, you know, you're doing it wrong. We hope you <laughs> get it right soon so that you don't go to hell. There was a bit of that. And, you know, the um, invitations to church would still come. But I think it really just has to all be about you, yourself and you need to, you know, for so long I was taught to not trust myself, to not trust my own yearnings and passions and feelings and questions because that wasn't healthy. So then to get to a place where, you know, I really believed God was behind this push towards honesty and questioning and opening Somewhere. and allowing. It was such a, you know, and, you know, it meant there were times that I would lie in bed. And that's one thing you have to be ready for as you kind of expand. 
is the fear of the foundations of your life crumbling under you. Mm -hmm. Like I would lie in bed up until a year ago probably and be like, but what is God with me? And, oh, God, like you, you, you lied to yourself for many, many years. The foundations are crumbling. Everything isn't going to be okay if you pray. No. You know, I developed a fear of flying, which I'd never had. As someone who flew my whole life and I flew for work, you know, I think I did once 98 flights in a year. I lived on airplanes and I always felt safe. And then as I allowed myself to expand, well, God probably won't save me from a car crash if I pray. So I might die. And then I had to take Valium to get on a plane. So it certainly didn't make my life easier. It made it a lot harder, but it made it more real. And it's a journey I'm still on, but I know that my but, that and I love the way you said it is is this idea of expanding and allowing more and allowing more love and more openness and more people in the camp and more questioning and more mess because that's all it is right it's allowing more mess my life has been a lot messier since I decided that I don't really have the answers and I don't know and um I I I wouldn't wish it upon anyone but I certainly would you know um because it's been the best things ever happened to me, but it hasn't been easy. But the relationships that I now have are so much more, um, they're just more expansive and more beautiful. And it's allowed for more people in my life and a better understanding of others, less judgment of others. And I'm not saying that anything in the Bible taught me to judge because it's it, really it's the opposite if you actually read the thing you know because, I know that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. um so it's really got nothing to do with scripture and everything to do with the kind of everything that man built around that but yeah life's been a lot a lot messier but a whole lot better I'm a lot more full of love mm-hmm. and you know complicated love you know because love yes. can be complicated and that's yeah and that's okay yeah ash I know that's we're talking good. your story not mine but um there's been a number of times in my own journey where the God I've worshipped, I've had to invite to invite Jesus into that God's heart because mm-hmm. that God hasn't looked enough like Jesus, hasn't loved like Jesus, has threatened me when I got on planes instead of something that is like Jesus. Like the, mm. But it's you being so vulnerable and sharing that story, it kind of brings people up against um, what is the image that I've been um, uh, given of of what God is like, and it's amazing to me how how little often those images that are served to us from from pulpits and um, uh, crooning worship singers look nothing like the love we see in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I I really appreciate your vulnerability. Sorry, Drew. I think I cut you off a little. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, that's that's perfect. I was just gonna invite you, Ash. Uh, given that you've taken this journey and it's really powerful to think about how you even talked about experiencing what was real and true, right? That expansive kind of open-handed kind of posture and kind of embracing a more authentic life with integrity. So I'd love to hear you bring that experience and kind of walk us through, like what does it mean then to come back to a text like Luke 10 um, mm. How would you read that now in light of this journey that you've been on? Mm. Well, it's so funny, Drew, because I think as a little kid, I read that 
and really believed that that was that was it. Mm. Well, this is Christianity, right? Cool. Um, you know, I hadn't yet experienced how messy we were about to make it, so wow. I didn't know that it wasn't that simple. I just assumed it was that simple, and that was something I could get on board with. You know, that parable. I was like, great. Well, if that's Christianity, doing something for someone who I'm supposed to hate, I'm going to get nothing back from it. I remember thinking, but his whole donkey, like he's going to be out of pocket. Like he needs to go and find the guy later and say, I was the guy that helped you give me praise, but he's not going to do that, (laughs) you know. Um, So I think I've come full circle because I started at this parable. Then I learned that love has conditions and there are more important things than loving your neighbour and that is building the church and there's all these yeah. other complicated shit that we, and mm. then I kind of, ugh, and then I kind of came back as a 30-year-old to the Good Samaritan and was like, no, this is where it's at. This is the kind of, you know, example of, of Jesus and of you know, the way of Jesus that mm. perhaps we were supposed to follow the whole time that we kind of, got lost on so while I don't really identify as a Christian anymore I still look at this parable and go but that is the kind of life that I want to live and that's the kind of mm. life that I still try every day to live you know yeah. yeah, it's just without the would you come to my bible study after I after I kind of you know <laughs> tend to his wounds and put him in the inn so yes. <laughs> you know yeah. I, it's, yeah it's beautiful to me that I've come full circle and that as a kid I got it. <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, it was kind of complicated after that. But I think now I would hazard a guess to say that the way that I treat my neighbour is probably more in line with what Jesus intended than how I did when I lived in my bubble and didn't yeah. really have any non-Christian friends because I was mm. too busy mm. doing, you know, God's work. <laughs> right. Imagine that, yeah. right? right? I mean, it's the. I mean, even as you're talking, like I'm just thinking about because you're talking about like how we complicate, right, these things, and just kind of miss the beauty of it. And I'm thinking of like, like I've heard too many sermons on this particular text. I mean, a range, and some of them powerful <laughs> and beautiful. And certainly, you know, I've got Dr. King in my head. He's got mm-hmm. his interpretation of it and all. But I've also heard like ways in which this text has been so domesticated to like distorts the simplicity of the call to love your neighbor. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, Oh, this is what this story is really about. It's a story about the Samaritan is Jesus and we are the poor person. And so we should just be grateful. And then there's like no ethical go and do likewise. Right. There's no like, uh, and it's just like the clever ways that, you know, you know, preachers do mental gymnastics to kind of fit into the paradigm. In this case, it was this kind of like evangelical um, kind of, you know, trying to win souls, um, but not trying to create, you know, good human beings that reflect, you know, the image of God and know how to take care of others, especially along lines of hostility. So, yeah, I really appreciate you kind of emphasizing um, just getting back to that coming full circle to the simplicity mm. of just the beauty of the message mm. there. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that I could have, I wish that as a child I'd, I'd kept that and I was allowed to keep that, you know, beautiful, simple, simple approach to faith. And I, now that I've got a kid and, you know, I'm like, oh gosh, what do I, you know, mm-hmm. what do I t- 
tell him? What do I teach him? Well, I don't want to mess him up. But I think that's something. Buddy, here's my forward. deconstruction. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I'm going to take you on a long-ass journey. So strap in, buddy. <laughs> Mama's probably going to cry. She's probably going to drop some F-bombs, but it's got a good ending in the end. Um, you know, I wish that did, you know, if anything, this is the kind of thing you can't go wrong with this, right? You know, yeah. you, can't, you can get lost in the dogma, but you can't get lost in, well, these beautiful stories straight from the mouth of Jesus. Mm. Rumi has um, that lovely line where he talks about um, uh, Jesus was one who was lost in his love for Allah. Mm. Um, We're going to call just... Buddy Rumi and then a friend stole it. Oh, friends. Come on now. Beautiful. Um, I, I, I love Buddy as a name, by the way. I know when you were interviewing Billie Eilish, um, you dropped the fact that you shared um, the, the name with your mum and her response was... She's still um, not on board, Jared. <laughs> her response I, was, wait till you meet him, then you might change your mind. He's now five <laughs> weeks old and she comes every day to help and still, I don't think I've ever heard her say the name Buddy. She calls my little prince. My little boy, my darling. I'm like, say his name. We're not changing it. Prince is pretty cool, He's a though. friend to all. That was the idea, buddy. Friend buddy, yeah. Um, did you think about old mate or were you like, that's not going to be appropriate in like the primary school? Because <laughs> you're the biggest old mater I know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm an occasional old mater. Drew, I might need to translate. O old mate is a, I mean, how do you explain to people not in Australia oh. how old mate functions in a sentence for an Australian. Oh, mate. Oh, I don't even know how to describe it. Like if you were. <sighs> well, it's interesting because it gets used different ways as well. Like yes. there's, there's old mate and you mean old mate. Like there's old mate Ash and then yeah. you might be talking about a politician and then you're like yeah, old oh, mate. mate and and what you yeah, really mean guy. is like he's not my mate. Like, not at all. And, Generally yeah. old mate is not someone that's your actual mate. Usually you're having a discussion about them with eye rolling and, you know. But then sometimes when you're talking about someone like incredulously, I can't believe they did that, like maybe we're talking about Jared. And, like, and then you never believe what old mate does and you'll be pointing at Jared while you're explaining it. So that's yeah. multi-uses. So old mate was never an option? No, I, don't, I think I draw the line at, at, at Buddy, which... Is the perfect name for him, our little Bud. But now we call him what, like Mr. Wiser or Wiser from Budweiser, which is a beer, which is even a worse. Like my mom really, I like, can never know that. Well, uh, our little Noah is is Noah Otis McKenna, um, which very soon became Nom, um, which became Nom Nom, um, uh, which has evolved that um, he, his his granddad, um, Cat's dad, always calls him Num Num Num. Um, and eats perfect. him and so like, eat those I, I think he thinks his name is numb but it's okay that's we'll, okay we'll, we'll, we can work with that ash what i find fascinating about the text you chose is it's one of jesus's like most like horrific takedowns of institutional hypocrisy like um and, and it's threefold as well like you got the the the, the priest the levite um, and then what everybody is expecting is the Israelite, because if you're an insider, that's how it works. Um, you go uh, priest, Levite, Israelite. And instead, what they get is priest, Levite, Samaritan, which mm. um, for some Christians is a bit like saying priest, Levite and um, the uh, trans woman who's a Muslim. 
or yeah. like I, I don't know people's particular prejudices but yeah Jesus chooses I mean this isn't the story of the good Samaritan as so much it is the story of the hated Samaritan who's totally. actually better at going like the way of the God that hears the cries of the oppressed than those yeah. who claim to worship the God of the oppressed I, I'm I'm interested from from you as as you um because you've gone from being very public in your faith um, uh, and, and not just with your friends or whatever, but like on the Australian kind of scene to being very public about um, doubts and being okay mm. with that, um, which I think is beautiful and healthy and is the kind of place that um, the Holy Spirit gets at us. It's raw, it's mm. real, it's, it's good. Um, but what has been the responses from uh, uh, those who had been in the role of um, priest Levi and you yeah. expect? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I pretty much just got cut off by most of them. Not cut off in a sense of like delete your number, just like well, we're not friends anymore. So I probably lost like 95% of my, you know, circle, which is fine. I'm so sorry. But yeah, no, but like I get it because, and it what, and it's not like it like it's not like it was some crazy Scientology thing where there's this like written thing like they're now a suppressive person and we cut them up. Nothing like that. It's just that they're in their world, I'm in mine. So, you know, and really, who's gonna argue with me? You know, like there's other people that you choose to have an argument with over, but you've got to really be ballsy to come at me about these things because <laughs> you know, like I have a dog with a bone. But I think from the people that matter and the people that, um, you know, my closest friends are still, you know, at church every Sunday. My One of my best friends, her and her husband are pastors. And the grace and the space and that they have shown me has been beyond beautiful. They just allow me to be me. And there have been times when, to their credit, they've had to stand their ground and say, hey, Ash, when you speak that way, about something sacred to me that's actually hurtful. So you need to check yourself. And there are times where I can say, hey, there's some judgment in the way you're speaking. You don't actually know that person's lived experience. So you need to step back. So there's this really beautiful respect. And I think we're still learning a lot from each other. And I'm so grateful for that. And they know, don't invite me to church. I'm not going to come. You know, and they make a lot of jokes about me going to hell, but in a really funny way. Like it's very much like we're all on board with this joke, you know. So I appreciate that because I need that. I need us to like to be real. Um, I think I often have like fantasies about kind of running into old people that, you know, perhaps used to exercise power over me or, you know, and still exercise power over a lot of people and what I'd say. And I think God in his goodness or her goodness, their goodness um, has not allowed mm. that to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, from the people that matter, nothing but grace, honestly. Um, and I really do believe that even though I don't know, have any idea where I sit on the scale of belief, I, I know that I'm showing God's love to more people. Mm in a more beautiful and honest way than ever before. So I know I'm, I'm good. You know, I don't, and even if there was any sort of kickback or, you know, and I think I've always, 
um, I've always voiced my doubts in a respectful way. Like I've never done it in like a just, you know, like an ex bitter ex-girlfriend way. Um, it's always very much for the sake of others' inclusion and others, you know, yeah, I see beautiful. something that's wrong. Mainly because I'm like, well, if this is all real, how pissed off is Jesus right now? Mm. You know, like, <laughs> you know, if it is, and I don't know if it is, but if it is, I want to stand up for that guy. Yeah. This is BS, what you're doing yeah. and saying is for him. It's not. So that's where it all comes from. It's it's never just like these people are dumb for believing it. No, it's these people are acting in a way that is completely, you know, counterintuitive to what this text is saying. Mm -hmm. And I feel sorry for Jesus if he's around watching. And I mean, to, to Drew's point as well, like how this text is sometimes used in terms of um, uh, Jesus is the hated Samaritan. And it's like, well, actually, when you put it in the context of hated, yeah, that makes sense. Like um, <laughs> a lot of church people, when it comes to like that bloke from Nazareth, no time for his agenda, who he hangs mm. out with, who, who he loves and um, what he's on about. Um, but in terms of where Jesus is in the text, it's pretty hard to go past that beaten bloody body by the side of the road and and not go in fact I, I was um i was working for world vision in romania and uh, one of the places that were hosting us had a, a hospital and um romania is largely romanian orthodox like since communism fell and they had this like phenomenal and it was like bigger than me this icon in the like um entrance of this hospital and it was of the good samaritan and everybody in the picture um, had the, the halo of the Christ um, with the Alpha and Omega. So um, the innkeeper at the back who was welcoming mm. in also had it. The um, person who was beaten by the side of the road was Christ. Um, the Samaritan helping was Christ. And it's beautiful. Um, it's incredible, right? But it does take a, it, it takes a kind of maturity in allowing your love to extend that you're like, oh, okay, everybody's my neighbour, which is mm. is threatening to institutions often. Yeah. And I have to keep reminding myself again that God gets it and God has space for all of it. Yeah. So he has space for my beliefs and the way I see it. He has space for yours, to my mm. friends that are past it. He I don't have to sit here and get angry and try and make everyone understand my point of view because he doesn't. Like he gets it. He has space for all of it. So that for me, I think was the big, the most liberating thing was that I'm with him. Like he gets it. So I'm cool. You guys might not get it, but if none of not one person gets it and you're all just praying for my salvation this whole time and, you know, like thinking I'm going, whatever, that's okay because in my heart of hearts, I know that God gets it yeah. and he's got space. For, he's allowing space for all of us to have all these different, he's cool with it all. Like he's not losing sleep. You're losing sleep. <laughs> Me and God not losing sleep. So on one hand, you know, to feel good about one's own place and posture and questions and all of that. And then also, like, I do think, and maybe this connects to, like, a conversation Jared and I've had recently, like, because we've had some guests, like, you know, have very different conceptions of how to understand God, right? Whether it be mm -hmm. from, like, kind of classical theist positions to open theism and all that stuff. 
Um, but I think one of the things like for Jared and I, like that matters so much is the kind of lives that we live in the midst mm. of that. Like what, what, what comes out of, you know what I mean? Like what kind of people are we and how do we actually care for others? And it, and it is quite fascinating that Jesus in the passage turns it from, you know, who is your neighbor? Uh, Cause that's the question that the, you know, he's, being tested on is, is he going to answer the question right in terms of how to interpret the law but then the ultimate question you know will we be a neighbor right um it's just a different kind of orientation in terms of the kind of people that we're going to be in the world right um to everybody that we encounter um and i think that um i don't know i have so much more um respect across the board regardless of one what one person believes in their faith and how they articulate god and all that i have so much more um respect for folks in terms of the lives that they live what mm. they actually embody how they mm -hmm. actually relate to others and interact with others and show respect right and treat people with dignity and stand up and speak up on behalf of others like those things matter and i think that um, too often that has gotten lost uh, for mm -hmm. folks in their pursuits to master God. Um, right. I think they actually yes. lose touch and connection to God altogether. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And and me, me leaving church was a way for me to actually. Yeah. Get there. Love and get there and connect with people and actually see these people as my neighbor. And I couldn't have done it unless I had left. It was like that was part of the freedom, right? Was it okay? Now I can, now I can really feel like I'm invested in these relationships without questioning my motives or without feeling guilt. And now I can really love people. Like yeah. that was the biggest and best part. My whole and that's life. So, like I'll be honest. Like that's so sad for me to hear. Not because it makes sense. Like mm. because like I'm a lot of my work has been like I've done a lot of historical work looking at basically the failures of the church, right? So like they're plenty and they're broad and they're wide and they're deep. So on one hand, it makes sense, but it's still, there's a part of me that like, that's just so sad, you know, that, the ch that that's what the church has become so often for so many people. Yeah, um, and not for everyone. I have not for everyone, not for everyone, right? And not and for me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm actually yeah. still a part of a faith community and stuff. And so that's, that hasn't been my experience. Well, I've been a part of communities that have been that. Yeah. <laughs> but presently, the community that I'm a part of is not that. But it is still sad when I, you know, just that for so many people, literally leaving the church is literally the path towards being closer to God and learning yeah. how to love others, right? Yeah. Um, and that's just, it, it's a reality that I think we just have to kind of mm. swallow and, and take a somber kind of reality to what has gone on so often for so many people all around the world. Yeah. 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 I used to be angry. I'm certainly not angry anymore. I'm like, you know, yeah. you just said it beautifully, Drew. It's exactly right. Ash, I'm so thankful for your integrity and, and the way you do love and who you don't give up on and who whom you clearly have seen in the words of Andre 3000, I am your neighbour and not given up on them. Um, I'm just so thankful for that. And I love you heaps. Thanks for making time with us. We're, we're probably going to wrap the uh, official podcast bit. Um, so you should give details of where people can, can, can find your, your stuff. 
Um, but then if you're willing, we'd, we'd love you to hang around just for a few questions from those who have joined us live. Is that fun? Of course. Dash London That's podcast sweet. at underscore London on Instagram. That's me. Always around, especially for those when 3 a.m. when I'm breastfeeding, that's when I'll get back to your DMs. So keep them coming. Thank you, guys. Sadly, I really loved that. Sadly, no longer on Twitter because um, people are really awful to women on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, I got sometimes. rolled in a big way. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> maybe, maybe something for our um, uh, off-the-podcast discussion. But thank you, Ash. Love you dearly. Thanks, guys. Yep. Love you, thank you very much. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Jared. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.